The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, today is the first day of the 2023 Advanced Payments Program. I'll speak with the Director of Finance and APP Operations at the Canadian Cattle, uh, Canola Growers Association, Dave Gallant. The latest snowfall in southern Saskatchewan is seen as a mixed blessing. We'll hear from the President of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association, Garner Diabold. Saskatchewan's General Farm Group says producers are facing a financial strain from the rising carbon tax. APAS President Ian Boxall will join us on today's program. And weather is the most important variable for crops. And poor weather is one part of the world where it will boost prices for farmers in another part of the world. We'll hear from well-known agricultural meteorologist Drew Lerner, who recently spoke to the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Today is the first day of the 2023 Advanced Payments Program. The Canadian Canola Growers Association has issued its first 1,500 cash advances for this program year. Dave Gallant is the Director of Finance and APP Operations at the CCGA. So we have been taking applications from farmers since the middle of February for this year's program. And this morning we issued just over 1,500 advances to farmers throughout Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta. And that is putting just over $300 million of cash advance funds into their bank accounts to allow them to get this year's crop in the ground or get uh, feeding those animals this year. He explains how the money is distributed. It's all direct deposit. So... uh, Depending on your financial institution, money should be showing up in your account today or if you're using credit unions, probably tomorrow. Gallant says the advance payments are available through a very competitive interest rate. That is correct. So on the first $250,000, it is 0% interest. And on the remaining 750000 it's at prime minus three quarters of a percent. And as noted in the press release, the federal government included in this year's budget uh, an allocation to move the interest free to $350,000. Uh, we are waiting from, uh, for the federal government to let us know when that will occur. It's probably going to be in a few weeks. So for now, it's 250 interest-free, and when it becomes official, it will then become 350 interest-free for farmers. He says the program is open to any kind of agricultural producer. Yes, we at CCGA do advances on grains and oil seeds, so all over 55 different products, as well as livestock. So we do cattle, bison, sheep, goats, hogs. Gallant notes it's not too late to apply for the program. Oh, yes, we are getting hundreds of applications in on a daily basis, so farmers can apply today. They can call us at our 1-800 number. Uh, It's uh, 1-866-745-2256 and apply with our staff on the phone. Or if they've already got an account with us, they can apply online, um, and they can apply for the next 365 days for this crop year. He adds advanced rates have changed for 2023. Advance rates have gone up, so uh, what we're seeing is that 
the rates for some products this year have gone up fairly significantly. So, for instance, canola has gone up 9% or $33.95 uh, a ton. Wheat's up over 20% at uh, $29.10 a ton up from last year. Some commodities are down, but uh, again, you can go to our website at ccga.ca and all the rates that are available for this year's program are on our website. And uh, that will allow a farmer to figure out exactly how much they can receive for their products. And Gallant has these final comments. The only thing I would add is that there is uh, no fee at CCGA for their cash advance. And we've been doing this for 40 years. And we provide excellent customer service to customers who come back year in, year out for service from CCGA. Dave Gallant is the Director of Finance and Advance Payments Program Operations at CCGA. And it's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. New Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. X94, Ag Review. Canada's beef cattle sector is already calling the negotiations that allow the United Kingdom to join Canada and its ten partner nations in the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact unjust. The Trade Pact's accession working group claims that the UK has provided commercially meaningful market access offers of the highest standard on goods, services, investment, financial services, government procurement, state-owned enterprises, and temporary entry for business persons. The Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance, in a 2021 submission for federal consultations on the matter, warned its member groups cannot support an outcome where UK beef continues to have unlimited access to the Canadian market, while Canadian beef is subject to a tariff rate quota. The Canadian Cattle Association, a CAFTA member, says it's disappointed with a market access agreement that will form the basis for the UK to join the CPTPP without achieving viable access for Canadian beef to the UK. The CEO of the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association says Japan's recent announcement that it's lifting restrictions on Canadian beef is 20 years in the making. Grant McClellan says it's excellent news for Saskatchewan producers, especially since Japan is the third biggest beef importer in the world. Japan said last week that it was reopening its doors to processed beef and beef patties from Canada. This was its last remaining restriction on Canadian beef since it initially shut its border to all Canadian beef following a case of BSE in 2003. McClellan says access to high-value markets like Japan can only be beneficial to producers in the province. The National Farm Animal Care Council has released its revised code of practice for the care and handling on dairy cattle. It takes effect on April 1st of next year. The code includes a timeline to eliminate tie stalls for cows. Effective April of 2027, cows cannot be tethered continuously. New barns will be required to allow daily, untethered freedom of movement and social interactions year-round. By 2031, calves will be required to be housed in groups or pairs by four weeks of age. If they're housed outdoors or in hutches, 
They may only be tethered if they can move in and out of the hutch. They must also be able to have physical contact with another calf unless they need to be separated for health and safety reasons. The U.S. Department of Agriculture released its prospective plantings report on Friday. It says U.S. farmers are aiming to expand plantings of corn, wheat and soybeans this year as the ongoing war in Ukraine keeps global supplies tight. But analysts say adverse planting conditions are likely to trim back the expansion in some northern U.S. states as heavy snowpack and cold wet soils could delay spring field work. The USDA says U.S. growers plan to seed 91.996 million acres of corn in 2023, the third most in a decade, and 87.505 million acres of soybeans, the third most on record. All wheat plantings were seen rising to 49.855 million acres, although analysts also cautioned that harvested acres could be much lower due to drought in the southern plains and overly wet spring wheat planting conditions in the northern plains. Farmers need to do their part to make sure their grain will be ready for market come harvest time, and the reality is that the onus of that increased scrutiny falls directly into the laps of farmers. The Keep It Clean program is designed to help farmers deal with that burden. It's a joint initiative of the Canola Council of Canada, Cereals Canada, Pulse Canada, and the Prairie Oat Growers Association, funded in part by the Federal Agri-Marketing Program, and offers tools to help farmers ensure their crops meet the ever-changing marketing standards of Canada's international trade partners. The Keep It Clean website breaks down how farmers can meet these challenges into five tips. Use acceptable pesticides. Always read and follow the label. Manage disease pressures. Store your crop and deliver what you declare. While there is good buy-in for the program, it says it's easy to forget about these issues with all the pressures associated with getting the crop in the bin. And that's today's Ag Review. The latest snowfall in southern Saskatchewan is seen as a mixed blessing. Some areas have received several inches of snow in the last day or so. The president of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association, Garner Diabold of Hodgeville, says the moisture is welcome, but it leads to some challenges at calving time. So the, the snowfall here is, there is it is a mixed, mixed blessing. The moisture is very welcome. That's something I think in the southwest here that we definitely are happy with that to see. It does cause some challenges as far as, you know, people that are getting into calving here right now. Uh, it adds to the workload and definitely is uh, something that they need to work through. But all in all, uh, it's not going to stay long at this time of year and, and the moisture definitely is welcome. He says they had a recent dump of snow just this weekend. Yeah, out of this in, in the last 24 hours here, we probably have three or four inches of snow. Uh, it is nice heavy wet snow and has settled out nicely, uh, but again, it has accumulated and uh, there's no bare ground showing here at, at our place, but you know, it looks like it's going to, winter will last through the week here yet, but by Friday here, it's going to warm up, warm up nicely. Diabald says the moisture is badly needed in their area. Very, very dry. Like there really is no subsoil moisture here and 
And so all of the snow that we've gotten this winter here, you know, it, it will definitely go towards improving those conditions. Much more is needed. There was such a deficit that, you know, we're going to need some spring rain and, uh, and summer rain here, I think, to, to grow some grass. But this is a good start for sure. But he says the fresh snow causes some concern around calving season. Oh, definitely, yes. You know, this time of year, uh, calving out is challenging. And, and with the weather wet and cold like this, people are going to have to be on their toes and, and be working 24-7 here to get through this. Diabald notes the SSGA had a fundraiser last week. He tells us how it went. Right. It, it was a very successful uh, fundraiser here. Uh, the, the auction went well. We definitely thank all of the sponsors, uh, the supporters, the people that bid online, all of the buyers, uh, it's very much appreciated. The money goes towards operations and, and helps us in, in uh, continuing to advocate here for farmers and ranchers. And so, uh, again, it's just a, a nice little infusion into, into the organization here that helps all, all farmers and ranchers here in the province. He tells us how cattle markets are looking this spring. Well, right now, uh, very uh, everyone is very optimistic. Markets are strong. Futures markets are very good, and and you know, right now, calves that are are going to market here, uh, you know, definitely are in in a profit position. So, you know, it it is something I think that people are optimistic, and going forward here, it looks like things are are, are up for sure, and uh, let's hope for strong prices for for years to come. Diabald says producers should take a serious look at livestock price insurance. Yeah, so price insurance is definitely a way here that you can guarantee that you, uh, you know, you can lock in those calves for, uh, you know, the price at, at a profit. And, and so I think that's something that I would sure encourage farmers and ranchers to look at. It's something that, uh, you know, as a tool here that we can manage some of the risk and, you know, definitely uh, give puts us in a position here where where we know that we can be profitable come this fall here you know barring any any unforeseen downturn in the market and things that can change overnight so price insurance is a valuable tool and something that i definitely would encourage people to look at and you know there are different levels that you can lock in at and and for a reasonable price so you know have a look at that and i i think it is something that most farmers and ranchers could take advantage Garner Diabald is president of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for June closed at 161.22 today. That's down 90. August live cattle closed at 160.75, down 67. May feeder cattle closed at 203.15, down 210. August feeder cattle closed at 220.70, down 127. May lean hogs closed at 84.37, down 25. June lean hogs closed at 91.42, down 20. And that's the livestock market conditions. Saskatchewan's General Farm Group says producers are facing a financial strain from the rising carbon tax. On Saturday, the tax rose another $15 per metric ton to $65 and will reach $170 by 2030. APAS President Ian Boxall says the carbon tax will cost Saskatchewan farmers over $40 million this year to move their grain to port position. 
everybody can sh- should be concerned about it, farmers and non-farmers. It's just an added cost right now with the way the economy is and inflation that we just we can't afford. And especially on the producer's side of it, we can't pass those added costs along. And, and the one that was really shocking to me was just the carbon tax on the rail freight to get our products that, you know, that the world needs to port. That is just a huge cost that trickles down to the farmer in the basis and we end up paying. He explains what that cost will be. Yeah, it's probably going to be around the $40 million to get our products to port. And that's, you know, that comes right off the producer's bottom line. That is a just-in carbon tax. And that, that's a big hit to Saskatchewan farmers. That's a yearly expense that producers will pay. And as the carbon tax rises every April, it'll continue to go higher and higher. And, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm happy to see the pass of Bill C-234 in the House, and let's hope the Senate expedites that to give us some reprieve on the on the cost we would have on our carbon tax of, you know, grain drying and heating of barns and greenhouses. That, that'll be a benefit to producers for sure, because at a time, you know, especially here in Saskatchewan, when you need a grain dryer, you've already had a difficult year. So that would just add one more cost. So I hope the Senate realizes the importance of that bill and expedites that through the Senate to ensure that it gets royal assent here. Boxall says the fact that Saskatchewan is a long way from the nearest port makes our transportation costs higher. That's right, just logistically where Saskatchewan sits in the country and in relation to where the grain needs to get to be shipped out, we are the furthest from port here in Saskatchewan and it's just a huge cost that farmers at the end of the day are not going to be able to afford to absorb. He notes livestock producers are hit hard by the carbon tax as well. Same thing as as livestock is trucked to, you know, Feedlot Alley in Alberta and to the slaughter pants. There's carbon tax on all that trucking as well. And let's be honest, here in Saskatchewan, if you bought it, a truck brought it. And there's carbon tax on every single thing that we purchased. And right from the manufacturing of equipment and parts to the, the delivery of those parts, carbon tax on all of the groceries, on everything we buy. And, you know, everybody is going to feel this especially at a time when inflation and costs are already record high. Boxall spoke to the House of Commons Standing Committee on Agriculture recently. He tells us how that went. It went really good, and that was on the cost of food and just on, you know, on carbon taxes, one of those things that is is increasing the cost of food because those costs will just be passed along to, to the consumer. And it, we need to make sure that they know that these are costs right now that Canadians and people in Saskatchewan can't afford as for an alternative you know i I, be, I believe there's an alternative that there could be some research done into some true benefit to the environment i think there there are great things done in agriculture and in other industries that benefit the environment that get very little recognition i understand that the tax was there to try to change people's habits but you know here in saskatchewan with the distances we live apart and and, and being so rural those alternatives don't work and it's time that Maybe the government did some research into some of the alternatives and, and give incentive where incentives do. You know, farmers have been adapted to the environment because we face it firsthand every day. And we've made some vast changes to the way we farm and our farming practices because it was the right thing to do for our operations, for the environment, for the betterment of everybody. And it's maybe time that some of that was recognized and, and a little more research done into what, what benefits those are. Ian Boxall is the president of APAS. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in one minute's time. Are you? Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. 
PERS and porcine circovirus have been shown to disrupt thyroid hormone levels, leading to reduced growth performance in pigs. Researchers with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine have been exploring the effect of disease on thyroid hormone levels in pigs and potential treatment options for the reductions in growth performance caused by fluctuating levels. Dr. John Harding, a professor in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine, explains what thyroid hormones do. The thyroid hormones are involved in the regulation of metabolic rate and growth and fetal development in pregnant females, and their roles uh, really involve a long list of daily bodily functions um, specific to the many organ systems that we have. So there are multiple thyroid hormones, and some have biological activities like T3 and T4, uh, but others are without biological function. And it's the balance between these active and inactive forms that control metabolic rate at a level which is appropriate for each of us as individuals. It's, it's kind of like the Goldilocks scenario, you know, not too much and not too little, but just right for all of us. And really what's involved is a complex network of signaling uh, between the brain and the pituitary gland and the thyroid gland and then the peripheral organs such as heart and muscle and kidney. And that's uh, used to maintain this proper balance of active and inactive forms of these thyroid hormones. And normally, if too much uh, active form is present, some would be converted to an inactive form to slow things down and then vice versa. He tells us how the thyroid hormones are related to swine disease. Well, we'll start off in humans. Uh, there is a syndrome called NTIS, which stands for non-thyroidal illness syndrome, that sometimes occurs when you know we are under periods of chronic stress or some chronic diseases. And with NTIS, the deficiency in the thyroid hormones appears to be related to really a dysfunction of the normal signaling process, you know, between the brain and the pituitary gland and the thyroid gland. So, for instance, when the active forms are too low, so we're in a hypothyroid state, the normal signals should be sent to the thyroid gland to produce more thyroid hormones. But in individuals with NTIS, those signals do not occur so the individual remains in the hypothyroid state. Now, how does this relate to pigs? Well, we discovered a couple of years ago that following PERS infection, and that could be in any age of animal, the active forms of thyroid hormone decrease, similar in some ways to NTIS in humans. So this hypothyroidism happens to be concurrent with the period of viremia is viremia, and that is when the virus is present in the blood, and that typically lasts for two to three weeks. And then as the virus is cleared from the blood, the thyroid hormones return to their baseline levels, which are much higher. And this transient hypothyroidism appears to occur in all ages of pigs and also in fetuses. And in fetuses, it may affect their, their development and potentially their survival. And in postnatal pigs, so that'd be in the nursery grower or finisher, it's correlated with growth rate, meaning that growth rate decreases during these periods of hypothyroidism and then increase again upon recovery. 
And we found that animals that can sustain growth rate during PERS challenge have less suppression of thyroid hormones. And that's either because they're shorter duration or the drop in thyroid hormones is not as severe. Dr. Harding notes he has just completed another study on the issue. Well, the objective of the study was to determine if this transient hypothyroidism, the drop in thyroid hormones, is observed in other diseases. Now, they're commonly, you know, diseases that we experience in swine. And, and really what prompted it was this, you know, dramatic reduction in thyroid hormone levels that we saw with PERS. And we were wondering if this was a PERS-specific effect, so something unique to the PERS virus, or whether this was a broad effect across many different diseases. He explains how he conducted the work. Well, the first thing we did was we collaborated with other researchers who had performed animal challenge studies in animal care facilities. You know, we wanted well-controlled studies for the most part so that we could investigate the effect of a single pathogen or a single disease. We obtained serum from several experiments from both inoculated and also the control animals and sometimes across multiple time points. So just as summary, we obtained from the Iowa State University some sera from pigs in salmonella and mycoplasma pneumonia trials. And then from the Prairie Swine Center, we also obtained some other sera from a salmonella experiment. From the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, we obtained sera from pigs that were in a PCB2 trial. And then I had my own banks of sera from some of my own research in Brachyspira or swine dysentery, as well as a PERS mycoplasma co-infection trial that I set up specifically for this purpose. And then we quantified T3 and T4, those active forms of thyroid hormones, from all of these trials in our lab at the University of Saskatchewan. Dr. Harding tells us what's been learned because of this research. Well, of those five diseases... It would be circovirus, PCV type 2, salmonella, you know, multiple serotypes of salmonella, mycoplasma pneumonia, brachyspira, and PERS mycoplasma co-infection. We really found solid evidence of a prolonged suppression in thyroid hormones in only the PCV trial and the PERS mycoplasma co-infection trial. Interestingly, with mycoplasma alone and with brachyspira and salmonella, there was no sustained suppression. Um, you know, there maybe was a time point or two, but nothing that you could say over a large period of time or a long period of time, the thyroid hormones were suppressed. So it's very interesting that this does appear to be a, an, an issue specific to PERS and to circovirus. He outlines the next step. Well, the next step was to determine if we could supplement pigs with synthetic thyroid hormones as we do in humans, and we we fed these orally, and whether it would overcome suppression uh, of thyroid hormones in the PERS and the PERS mycoplasma challenge trials. And we have run three different experiments now, uh, testing different methods uh, and supplementation doses, but unfortunately none have worked. So specifically, We can increase levels of thyroid hormone T4 in blood by feeding synthetic T4, but it does not convert to T3. And if we feed a combination of T4 and T3, both of those being the active forms, we only see an increase in T4 in the blood. So there's no real improvement in T3 levels, which would be very important. 
So given that, we really did not see any improvement at all in growth rate. Dr. Harding tells us how the information gathered so far will be used. Well, unfortunately, we're at a dead end in terms of supplementation, thyroid hormone supplementation, which is really unfortunate. We were really hoping that we would see some, some benefit. That, that suggests to us, in fact, that this thyroid hormone suppression may, in fact, be a protective effect that the, uh, the individual infected uh, does for some reason that we don't really understand. But it is important for us to publish these, these uh, results so that other researchers don't travel down the same path that we did. He lists the anticipated benefits of this project. Well, we know there are at least two viruses, PERS and circovirus, that, disre- that dysregulate the thyroid metabolism, at least transiently for that two to three week period. You know, this helps us understand why growth rates uh, may be slowed when pigs are infected by these. And there's also considerable pig-to-pig variation in response to PERS virus. So there may be an opportunity to select for more resilient pigs. That'd be those that have less suppression following infection and they, they grow faster. And using samples that we obtained from the porcine host genome consortium, and these are large-scale inoculation uh, experiments that were performed at the Kansas State University by a large group of researchers. You know, we've learned that T3 levels following PERS challenge, so this is one of the active forms, have low to moderate heritability. So it is possible to select for animals uh, if there's a desire to do that. And obviously, our, our results may also um, be of some benefit to human researchers studying NTIS, although the diseases are not entirely the same in the species, but at least we do have now a model that uh, could be used in the future. And Dr. Harding made these final comments. We want to you know, put out a big thank you to our financial sponsors, and in this case it was NSERC through an alliance grant, Ontario Pork and the Genome Alberta, and also to collaborating researchers at the Prairie Swine Centre, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and the Iowa State University. And we do hope to get these results published soon. Dr. John Harding is a professor in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up across the board today. May canola closed at 7.7640, up $8.50. July canola closed at 7.5980, up $10.30. May Minneapolis wheat closed at 8.91 and 3 quarters, that's down 4 cents. May Kansas City wheat closed at 8.75 and a quarter down two and a half cents. May Chicago wheat closed at 6.93 and a half, up one and a quarter cents. May corn closed at 6.57 and three quarters, down two and three quarters of a cent. May soybeans closed at 15.22 per bushel, that's up 16 and a half cents. May oats closed at 3.48 and a quarter, down 16 cents. And that's the commodities update. I'll have the Farm Bulletin Board coming up in one minute's time. 
The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles.